Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Today comes from the 18th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, largely a parable of Jesus. I'll begin reading at the 21st verse and read through the end of the chapter. Uh, as we come to these words, uh, join me first in prayer. Gracious God, it is your word for which we hunger. It is your word we long to hear. It is your word that is our home, our North Star. So speak to us, we pray. We are here, O oh God, we are listening. By your spirit, breathe your word to life in us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Listen for God's word for us. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, and as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt, but that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother and sister from your heart. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. So there will be a time in your life when you will find yourself thinking about forgiveness either because you need to extend some 
or you need to receive some. In that moment, the questions will come. Are there limits to God's forgiveness? Are there limits to our forgiveness? What about accountability? Aren't people to be held accountable for their wrongs? And how many times does one deserve to be forgiven? Jesus' disciples ask these questions too. Trying to balance grace and accountability, they ask, how often do we forgive? Peter tossed out what he thought was a pretty large number. How about seven times, he said. Jesus responded, how about 77 times? In, In other words, if you're counting, you're on the wrong track. But 77 times. That's a lot of forgiveness. So, as he often did, Jesus told a story, most of it pretty hysterical. A king wants what's owed him. One servant is brought in who owes him 10,000 talents. Most laborers never saw a talent. To make 10,000 talents, it would require working a long time. it would require working approximately 150,000 years. (laughs) It's an unpayable sum. It's an unimaginable sum. It's a ridiculous sum. But the silliness of the story continues because this servant, this servant, regardless of the impossibility, he pleads and he promises, just give me a little time. I'll pay you back 150,000 years worth of wages. I'll pay you back everything. Just be patient with me. Well, he can't pay it back. Even if he's given to the end of time, he couldn't pay it back. It's ridiculous. Nevertheless, the king shows mercy and the debt is forgiven. Then you know what happened. The same servant goes out, meets a fellow servant who owes him Oh, about what you could make working for the summer. And the fellow servant, he says, pay what you owe. This fellow servant uses the same words, be patient with me and I will repay you, but there is no mercy coming. And because being poor has often in some ways still is illegal, the debtor is tossed into prison. The response of everyone else is boo. What a smuck. After receiving grace beyond counting, he can't distribute a modest measure of grace. The grace bestowed upon him does not influence his interaction with others. Now, this doesn't always happen when we read the stories of Jesus, but this time you read this story of Jesus and your response is probably, I'm better than that, and you'd be right. If you receive, if you receive extraordinary forgiveness, if you are forgiven an unpayable debt, you would respond to one who needs modest grace extended. You would show that. You would express forgiveness. We would do that to a point. But there comes a limit doesn't there? What if the debt is too big? What if the sin is too significant? I mean, there comes a point when we're not sure we would actually forgive anymore, doesn't there? I mean, isn't there a limit to forgiveness? 
As we've said, today is Juneteenth. You know the story by now. June 19, 1865 was the day when word reached the last enslaved peoples in this country. Union troops arrived in Galveston, Texas with glad tidings, you are free. It is only the second year we've recognized this as a national holiday. It's good. It should be right up there with the 4th of July as a celebration of freedom. Many of us gathered yesterday to, at the Juneteenth celebration here in Prairie Village. I saw many of you there. We need these celebrations because both at the same time we are free and we're not. And we need to remind ourselves what we're living toward, a freer, more just, more perfect union. As a reminder of the work that needs to be done, Friday was the seventh anniversary of a mass shooting in Charleston, South Carolina. There are so many of those, you may not remember this particular one. Dylan Roof, at the age of 21, attended a Bible study at the Mother Emanuel Church. They were studying the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, how the, we, how the seed sometimes falls among the weeds and on the rocky path. Before the study ended, he killed eight members of that congregation. Like the more recent shootings in Buffalo, New York, he didn't know his victims. He just knew they were African-Americans, and that was reason enough to kill them. Dylan Roof slipped away, not wanting to pay for his crimes, but was quickly caught. When he was arraigned, members of the victims' families were given an opportunity to speak. Nadine Collier, whose mother was gunned down that night, she stood choking back sobs and said, I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. I will never get to hold her again. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. If God forgives you, I forgive you. When asked later what made her offer forgiveness, she quoted this parable. She said, should not you have shown mercy as I have shown mercy on you? I remember hearing her speak in the news. I heard it reported and I was taken aback. But others, including others in her own church family, found her offer of forgiveness revolting. They said it came too soon. Too easily, they said. It lacked honor for those who were suffering. It, uh, to forgive failed to respect the pain that so many were feeling. It was too much grace and not enough accountability. There are limits to our forgiveness, aren't there? It's difficult because it seems that when we express forgiveness, what we're saying is, don't worry about it, everything's okay. Everything's fine. Really, it was nothing. Don't, don't, don't worry about it at all. Everything is just fine. But that's, that's not forgiveness. That's apathy. That's not forgiveness. When, when something has gone wrong, when, when we are the ones who have offended, when we are the ones who have injured, who have disappointed, who have sinned against another, our first response is not to ask for forgiveness. Our first response is to do what we can to make it right. When we have caused something to go wrong, 
our first response is to do what we can to make it right. I told you a couple of weeks ago about how I learned to repair windows, at least windows like they made them in the 1970s. And, and I, I did that because my baseball went through the window at the Van Arsdale's house. And so my dad said, you, fix, you broke it, you fix it. It's a good lesson. That's what faith calls us to do first. When something is wrong in us or in the world, it is incumbent upon people of faith to do what is ours to do to make it right. But there's some things we can't make right. There's some things we can't heal. There's some things we can't repair. That's when forgiveness is the only way forward. I think what Nadine Collier was saying is that the world could put Dylan Roof in jail for the rest of his life and it wouldn't fix anything. It wouldn't heal her. The only way she could find her way to peace is to forgive. So is there a limit? With us, I think often there is, but there doesn't seem to be with God. Even from the cross, Jesus said, forgive them. They really don't understand what they're doing. I don't always have that strength. I've been hurt. You've been hurt sometimes unjustly. It's infuriating, isn't it? It's hard in those moments to speak forgiveness. I, we can for a small amount. We do all the time. But when the world treats us unjustly, it's hard to extend grace. So what do we do with this story of Jesus? If I understand the text, the, the teaching of this parable is Jesus is inviting you and I to let our interactions with the world be shaped less by what the world does to us and more by what God has done for us. You with me? It's an invitation to let our encounter with the world, forgiveness is just one example, to let our encounter with the world be influenced less by what the world does to us and more by what God has done for us. Years ago, uh, my friends, friends of many of you as well, Jim and Judy Heater, they invited Carol and I to attend a fundraising dinner for the Midwest Innocence Project. Uh, Judy was president of that organization. It's a nonprofit that works to exonerate prisoners who've been wrongly incarcerated. Because Judy was president of MIP, Carol and I got to sit at the head table, and we knew we would be at the head table with the keynote speaker that night. The keynote speaker was author John Grisham. He can write a page turner. He's also Presbyterian. My, my 
baby brother for my birthday every year sends me Grisham's latest book. It usually comes out about my birthday. So I've read almost all of his books. Carol, on the other hand, prefers to read other things. So on the way to the event, she said, we're sitting at John Grisham's table. You sit next to him so you, because you've read the books. I said, I don't think he really wants to talk about the books. She said, you sit next to him. So we got there. The na- her name card was next to John Grisham's. My name card was next to to another guy that I didn't know right away. Grisham writes fiction, but he's written one nonfiction book called The Innocent Man. It's the story of a couple of people, a couple of men who were incarcerated for a crime that was later proven they did not commit. One was Dennis Fritz. I sat next to Dennis Fritz. He had lost 12 years of his life, wrongly incarcerated. As we ate our salads, we began to get to know each other. And I, I imagine there had to be days when the injustice of it all infuriated him. It made me a little angry just knowing the story. But that night, he spoke with grace and joy. He laughed quickly. He showed interest in others. I asked him, are you angry? He said, not really, not often. He said, I can't hold on to that. No, no need to let what they did to me mess with today too. They took a lot of days from me. This day is mine. He said, you know, God has been good to me. I don't think I'm that faithful, but I think that's what faithfulness looks like. I think that's what letting the gospel shape you. I think it's what it looks like, and I don't know that I'm that faithful, but I want to be. In the story, the servant is forgiven but it doesn't change how he treats others. The grace of Jesus Christ doesn't stop with us. It's got to change how we treat one another. And connecting those dots is never an easy thing. But if I understand the text, Jesus invites us to let what God has done for us shape how we respond to what the world does to us. I saw that happen in a woman who I only met once and only briefly. Earlier, I spoke of the shooting of the Mother Emanuel Church. The Sunday after that, I wasn't preaching here with you. So along with a handful of others of you, I went to the Metropolitan Missionary Baptist Church in Ivanhoe that Sunday. I hadn't been there before. I had yet to meet their their amazing pastor, Dr. Hartsfield. I should have let them know I was coming. I didn't think about that. I was unfamiliar with the building, so I entered a door that's clearly not the main door. I found myself walking down an empty hallway. I rounded a corner, and I bumped into a woman about my age. I stuck out my hand and said, good morning, I'm Tom. She shook my hand. But in her face, she was afraid. 
it was clear she was afraid. It, it, it never dawned on me that my being there as a white man that week, it never dawned, I'm so ashamed of this, it never dawned on me that my presence would be reason for fear. But of course it was. She shook my hand, and in her eyes there was fear, but what she said to me was, Welcome to Metropolitan. You are welcome with us. I can't recall a time in my life when I've been that faithful. What I mean is I can't recall a time when I have let what God has done for me shape how I responded to others, not that clearly, but I want to. I think if we're honest, for most of us, if we're honest with us, there are limits. So when it comes to those who we can't forgive, when it comes to those we can't be gracious to, when it comes to those we can't bring ourselves to love, it is good for us to remember that God already has forgiven them and extended grace to them and loves them. And God will also forgive us when we can't. Until maybe the day comes when we can. There will be a day, won't there, when everything we do will be shaped not by what the world has done to us, but what by God has done for us. I hope so. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.